Hello, and welcome to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have Steve Montgomery, the author of The Converging Apostasy, and a quick outline on hands-on eschatology, a matter of timing and agency. And together, we're examining the themes of apostasy in the New Apostolic Reformation and their history. Steve, I'm so excited to continue on with this. We're, you know, as the listeners know, we're discussing the connections between Jane Lead and the Christian identity, and we're getting into some characters that, for the overall podcast, as we're getting into the weaponized religion study uh, as this goes on in this year, we're getting into names and faces that uh, people are going to start connecting the dots of just why and how all of this comes together, why it's so important. And your research has been invaluable for helping me map out and connect all those dots. Because that, while I was focusing on the politics side and the criminal underworld of the religious movements, you were studying all of the thematic issues that that existed. And Quite honestly, it's so overwhelming, it would be impossible to do both. So as we put our research together, this is something that, uh, honestly, I've, I've looked far and wide. I don't think there's anything out there that even comes close to covering this. Yeah, I, I agree with that, John. Um, and uh, one of the things that, uh, that is, uh, you know, we're talking about Jane Lead and her, her role in all this. Uh, previous podcasts, we did talk about uh, something very specific in her writings that talked about the role of England, uh, where she was from, and the role of England in bringing about all the blessings on earth. And then, of course, uh, Richard Brothers uh, and the uh, Christian Identity Church of John Rowe picked up on some of the things she said. And she was an advocate of these same sorts of things about a couple of hundred years before John Rowe. So uh, one of the things that uh, that came up recently that I wasn't aware of is just by looking at the titles of some of her works, uh, that that same reference to England as being uh, the location where, of course, Anglo-Saxon uh, folks uh, began to uh, have these blessings for the whole earth. And, of course, that fits in nicely with the British Israelism. So, uh, again, I think I think one of the major components of how this sort of stuff spreads and how it uh, metastasized, if you want to use that word, is through the doctrine of ongoing revelation. And uh, looking back at Jane, Le- Jane Leeds writings, you find that constantly referenced to, uh, sometimes even beyond what, say, the NAR would say, uh, at least what they would be, if they were honest, they would say. And that is, she, she said very specifically that let nothing hold you back from new revelations from God, not even the scriptures themselves. So she makes very clear that anything goes. And, of course, for folks that are in the Manifest Sons of God teachings, uh, people that are influenced by the light of rain, uh, the anything goes is a big factor because their prophets end up taking them quite often into pyramidology or ufology or Christian identity. And so one of the major locations uh, or major people in all of that is that – her teachings easily come to somebody that I know you're, you're quite familiar with, John, and that is uh, uh, Wesley A. Swift. You're right. Wesley Swift, as we start getting deeper into the podcast this year, he is going to be a name that is coming up quite often. And um, I won't get into it deep in this podcast because we're we're going to explore it quite a bit more. We have mentioned it previously in the historical podcast, but... William Branham, 
reintroduced or rebranded, however you want to call it. It it was not divine revelation and brand new to him. But he basically, William Branham took Wesley Swift's Christian identity, the 2C doctrine, and he claimed it was a divine revelation and basically just renamed what Wesley Swift had taught, brought all the theology that Swift was teaching, took the words black and the words Jew out of it, but then gave the same lineage so that all of his listeners would assume that he was referring to black and Jew, and then um, introduced it into Lateran, and as you know, Lateran was um, very, very grounded in this Christian identity theme, but where it gets really interesting is we're going to be introducing some new characters and new faces into the podcast and the research. One of them is Gerald L. K. Smith. Because Smith was deeply involved in American politics, um, he, you know, he started the America First Party, which isn't the same as the America First Party you hear today. But interestingly, there is a there's a lineage that go, traces back to the same thing. So it literally is the same type of party that evolved from it, but. Gerald L.K. Smith was the head of the California Ku Klux Klan, and Wesley Swift was his second in command. And they were in California rebuilding the Klan at the same time that Roy Davis, who is, you know, William Branham was his second in command. Roy Davis was out in California at the same time. He, uh, they were of all things, they were raising money and creating this big orphanage scheme to fund basically to fund the Klan. And then just a little time after this, the Klan evolves and emerges out of California. So all of this is connected. Um, Again, I won't go too too deep into it right now, but where it gets interesting from your research is that while I'm looking at the politics and I see all these connections coming together from a doctrinal standpoint from a thematic standpoint many of those themes begin to blend into both movements so there is definitely cross-pollination happening yeah john that's really fascinating about the roy davis part and the historical research you've done uh connecting the dots between swift davis and obviously uh william branham and if you connect anything to william branham that by default connects it into the latter reign because because the uh, the central uh, founding father and chief apostle of the latter reign was George Houghton. And uh, we mentioned him before, but he's quite a character, especially if you look at him, not only with his, his uh, playing footsie with the, uh, the Christian identity and actually diving in, he also uh, went into some very strange, other doctrines that uh, you can get from Wesley Swift, uh, and he did that again through the idea of uh, ongoing revelation. He just constantly receiving new ideas. So for me, uh, my introduction to Wesley Swift, oddly enough, was at a time when I just went, "What? That is the weirdest stuff I've ever heard. So bizarre." And uh, actually, the way the way I ran into it was I was uh, assisting somebody back in the days when this was uh, sort of accepted and then became a big, big no-no, especially with folks like, say, uh, Steve Hassan. You know how he he does things in a very legit, above-board way, doing exit counseling. Well, uh, I, I was actually doing assisting people when it was called deprogramming. And uh, so I was hired and... The main fellow that was in charge of the group that I did the programming with was um, an ex-children of God guy. So there's another tie-in right there. So he was ex-children of God, and uh, what ended up happening was uh, he said, "Well, well, here's some materials. Have you have you seen this before, Steve?" And I was already quite rela- uh, quite acquainted with the ideas of, uh, say, like Bill Britton, and I said, oh, "Yeah, I've heard all that stuff. That's straight up." Light of rain, manifest sons of God stuff. He says, yeah, well, well, what do you think of this? Do you think this is manifest sons of God? And he gave me some materials from, from Wesley Swift. And again, I was just shaking my head like, well, yeah, it's sort of that, but it's also just full of absolute lunacy. Again, how could anybody, as you mentioned before, John, how could anybody believe this stuff? It's so weird. 
But again, it goes through step by step, uh, kind of like what that old that old semi parable or analogy people say, jumping from the fire into the frying pan. You know, that's that's what happens. And I did reference uh, last time we talked uh, Viola Larson, who's done uh, really good work in saying just basically what I said is that because many people in Christian identity came from uh, the ongoing revelations they were receiving in the Manifest Sons of God doctrines, uh, there's really a bridge that allows them to make that jump. So so I kind of discounted Wesley Swift to just an absolute lunatic back this probably 30 years ago. I revisited him because of Viola Larson's article, and so I said, well, I have to find out for myself. I really don't uh, like to take anybody's word and just run with it. I got to see this for myself. So what I did was I went to Ella Rose Mast, that's M-A-S-T. Her website is called uh, Christogenia, and it's Christianity for the Thinking Man. Well, guess what? You go to that website and you find uh, speeches of Adolf Hitler. And, uh, of course, Wesley Swift is in good or bad company, however you want to word that. Because all of, all of I don't know if it's every single one, but uh, many, many uh, of his, uh, his uh, transcribed sermons are there. And then some that weren't transcribed. So what I did was I read 34 of them and... Uh, had to take a slight hiatus after I did that. It's pretty disgusting stuff. And so what I did was I, th- I kind of thought of him as a, as a real conduit from the Manifest Sons of God's teachings and uh, Christian identity. So here's what I found more specifically. He had what I think of as just an absolute smorgasbord of extra-biblical sources, meaning sources outside of... Uh, Traditional Christianity. A few would be this: uh, the superiority of the Aryan race. Okay, there we can see that one. Uh, Stonehenge, which of course all the New Age folks and uh, esoteric folks really like when they get into their uh, kind of bizarre ideas about what Stonehenge stands for in the Aryan race. Um, the Kabbalah. So the Kabbalah. Uh, absolutely uh, es- esoteric source, and he references the Zohar, which is their main, uh, one of the main doctrine, uh, documents. He also talks about the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the Dead Sea Scrolls would be what neo-Gnostic folks and, and new, new truth uh, type people, uh, ongoing truth type people would get into. You know, it's kind of funny because... I while I did study mostly the you know the historical aspects and the political aspects there's a point in time in which I was I was also diving into some of these I don't know what you even call them it's not really theological studies but like you said the extra biblical I stumbled onto this by accident because I went out to California on business and um they had one of the largest collections of Egyptian artifacts in the city that I just happened to be in. I think it was San Jose. So I wanted to go. I went and looked, and it, it was at a Rosicrucian museum. And I had, had no idea what that even was, you know, me being the the humble little message guy uh, from cult guy, you know. So I go in here, and, you know, you see the Egyptian stuff, but you also see the Rosicrucian stuff and the themes. Well, the more I look, I'm scratching my head thinking, this is not a religious museum, but this really matches <laughs> a lot of what my religion was. So I started looking into this more and more and found out, you know, I know you've found this in your research too, the Gnostic writings and the Dead Sea Scrolls, anything that you can stamp a mystery on and say, read between the lines, my brother. See, they were writing about this back then. Well, they'll, they'll introduce this thing. An example of this and you can find this in Latter Rain. Branham was teaching from the Book of Enoch, and 
He said multiple times, you know, the Christian identity movement had this other thing they did. They called it typology. What you see, what you read is a type, and we'll apply that type to today. And you can literally stamp anything that you want to put into your agenda as a type, as long as you can find some passage to quote. Well, Branham would type Enoch to his small little group, and he would he would say that, you know, Enoch was translated, but he stayed on earth 500 years to walk with Noah, and Enoch typed the bride while Noah typed the church that wasn't good enough. And, you know, the Bible says 365 years and then walk with God, but in the book of Enoch, which is extra biblical, you know, it had the 500 years. So this was an extra biblical source, and it led me down this path of reading well, if he got it from there, what other sources did he quote? And I've read all the Dead Sea Scrolls and all of, <laughs> a lot of these things that people would just shake their head. What, what in the world are you doing, John? <laughs> yeah, John, you get, you get me scribbling stuff down again as you're talking, uh, because actually the uh, that really brings up a big deal. Moving back into more of the solid, if you want to call that, uh, Sons of God teachers, Bill Britton, who I've harped on quite a bit, uh, read quite a lot of his stuff, heard his old tapes that he did, and communicated with his daughter, Bill Breton would call that types and shadows. And actually, he would say uh, uh, that it's it's here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, uh, precept, and he would, he would take things from the Old Testament and call them types and shadows, and as you said, could dream up all kinds of stuff where he said, no, the plain meaning isn't anything like what you just said. So... Uh, I found this very interesting. Uh, I can't remember if we talked about this yet. Maybe we did. Uh, but there's a ministry called Good Seeds. And uh, Good Seeds, uh, Tyke and Terry Crisp, that's C-R-I-P-S, they uh, talk about uh, these same sorts of things with, uh, with Britain, George Houghton, uh, George Warnock. And George War- Warnock, in his writings, for example, the beast, uh, the feast of <laughs> the beast of tabernacles, yeah, the <laughs> feast of tabernacles, he does a lot with the same sort of stuff. So something very interesting uh, came about with all of this is uh, a friend of mine, who was an ex New Ager, sent to me a document called the Amazing Neo Pentecostals and their New Age teachings. Well, lo and behold, this was made from the perspective of a uh, Alice Bailey following uh, straight-up New Age uh, person. His name was Ernest Ramsey. And Ernest Ramsey uh, found the writings of Bill Britton and George Warnock and really promoted them and said, hey, you know, these guys are teaching the same kinds of stuff as as us, and we are looking for the reappearance of the Christ and externalization of the hierarchy, all those things you get from Alice Bailey and her disciples in the New Age movement. And the reason was they said that Bill Britton and Warnock uh, were teaching more uh, these types and shadows, and this was some more of a Kabbalistic method of uh, finding truth. And so, yeah, that was like a real mind blower. And uh, the reason I brought up uh, the crisp and at the Good Seeds is they also are quite aware of the parallels between uh, essential New Age teachings with uh, more of what they call the sonship message, which is manifest sons of God. So, yeah, and, and the thing about Enoch. One of the main disciples of Jane Lead, of course, she's in the 17th uh, century, and uh, the latter reign prophets, one of them uh, named Royal Cronquist, he had these prophecies. He called them uh, Epistles of the Kingdom. So I took it upon myself to read every single one of them and note whatever I found. One of them is very interesting. He said, apparently speaking, Jesus is speaking through him. He says, uh, can you handle it 
if I reveal the secrets of Enoch, who you know, that's like a real leading <laughs> comment there. And so, yeah, he teaches all kinds of wacky stuff that that he got uh, apparently from Enoch and everybody else. Uh, he's real into the great cloud of witnesses, which I know uh, you can get that from uh, Swift. So coming back to Swift, the great cloud of witnesses is sort of like a a, a Christianized, baptized version of what uh, New Agers would think of as uh, spirit guides and and what Valentinus would have called the Pleroma, which is the spiritual realm. And so making contact with them and uh, even in allowing them to channel through your body is one of the teachings that you find in the Sons of God message. You probably run into, into this, John, is that Swift also taught the same sort of thing that comes from Enoch, or the book of Enoch. He calls it the watchers. He says, uh, you know, the watchers are uh, circling the globe and looking for people to assist. Uh, Jane Leeds said that the, um, in a similar fashion, that uh, those of high and mighty position in the heavenlies are, are looking for those on earth through whom they can uh, communicate truth and uh, essentially come into union with. Yeah, this watcher's theology, it was something that I grew up with, and we didn't call it that, but William Branham had essentially rebranded the, you know, the um, Christian Identity 2C doctrine of Wesley Swift and the Celestial Bodies <laughs> doctrines, and Branham claimed, see, these guys used the UFOs to their advantage. They had been teaching all of this extra biblical revelations, and whenever they introduce themes from you know the book of enoch and whatnot if they could tie it to anything in current events it would further emphasize what they were saying and people would go oh i see this in current events so it must be true so they, they got a lot of mileage out of the ufo craze that is really incredible yeah i never really uh, well obviously you, you're so familiar with branham's writings but uh the only thing i knew about that was uh <clears throat> the very uh generalized statement that he made that uh, if there if there were bad uh, aliens and UFOs, there must be good ones too. You know, what a, what a leap of logic that was. Um, but also the, the part about Enoch and the introduction of uh, more esoteric themes. As I was reading the writings of uh, Swift, I ran into some of these sort of phrases, which anybody from the New Age or from the Sons of God ideas would probably uh, perk up the ears. One thing he said, well, and he put this in all caps uh, when he, he wrote this, he says, the ruler of the new age is the Christ. Okay, well, you can you can kind of pick at that and say, well, he doesn't mean what they mean, uh, but he words it in a way that's very similar to, uh, to new age folks. It's not saying Jesus Christ or the Messiah or the return of Jesus. It's the Christ in all caps. And he says this, this will be the beginning of the kingdom as a theocracy. Of course, we've heard that one before. Uh, he talks about uh, Enoch and the special angels, as you were mentioning, the celestial beings, uh, bringing the knowledge of science and technology to folks, and the great witness of the pyramid. This is a really strange thing, John, which I tried to, tried to see if maybe uh, Swift picked us up somewhere and, and really didn't think it through, which is likely. Uh, but it's a very strange uh, phrase he put here. And so I, I kind of just wrote it down to him for verbatim, like what he said. He said that Enoch recorded the mystery of law. There's that undefined mystery. And he says this aligns with Saturn and Jupiter. Well, if you look into stuff like... Uh, Really occultic stuff. They have those those balances of negatives, like yin yang kind of stuff, evil and good. And he says the mystery of law unites two opposites. Very very esoteric kind of way of looking at things. One of satanic power, one of the divine power. These two laws will come together in conjunction. Well, if you get any of that stuff, that's uh, you can get that stuff from purely, frankly, from purely satanic groups where they talk about Sophia and the Christ will come together. Uh, 
what comes to mind a real blatant version of this is with the uh, the process church of the final judgment they're fairly notorious uh, back in the 60s uh, satanic group who they constantly said these things you say ooh well they're, they're satanic they must have little you know like pitchforks and wear uh, red uh, robes or something not you know they just look like hippies essentially but in their writings they're constantly talking about uh, this balance between good and evil. Now, if you're coming from a Christian perspective, you would say, no, Christ really can't be united to anything evil because at that point, you don't really have Christ anymore. You have evil, uh, sub, you know, uh, gathering Christ or fusing Christ into evil, and therefore their version of Christ is Christ is not even there at all. So, um, Oh, and then another thing, you know, is, is of course, the uh, the idea that the mystery religions, which you mentioned before, John, the mystery religions uh, were one of the places where the so-called the white race, uh, the children of God, the children of Osiris, uh, found a way to be, uh, them and their teachings, to be preserved and passed on to, to the future. And so... Uh, Swift mentioned this, and it's very interesting because uh, Helena Blavatsky, uh, the founder of the Theosophical Society, said very similar things, and she said that the religion of the future will be a restoration of these uh, uh, mystery religions. Likewise, Alice Bailey, in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, she said uh, very similar comments for where the New Age teachings will be a resurgence of the mystery religion. So how many directions that counts us, uh, connects us in? So, like you said, John, it can make your head spin. Uh, and, but um, a big, a big uh, if you even go before Valentinus, um, a lot of the folks in the esoteric uh, track of thinking, uh, they really reference Plato. And so before I got to reading this stuff, I'd say, yeah, yeah, Plato, uh, heard of him. Uh, uh, so he's uh, he's just a philosopher. But in the hands of esoteric folks, they get things like uh, reincarnation, uh, uh, becoming divine, etc. So yeah, and so when I ran into uh, Swift, as you said, also he's using. Actually, I think he has a, a sermon that says. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls validate Christian identity. No, you mentioned Sophia coming together and how how compatible this is with the esoteric world. One of the things that made it so compatible, in my opinion, is that the Jewish conspiracy from which all of this was built upon, you know, you had all of these elements as the foundation, the British Israelism, the Jewish conspiracy, etc., what they were trying to project politically was the notion that you can look among the people in the government and they look like normal people, but these are the bad seed. And so they're so close, they would deceive you that you, you might be deceived by these politicians or whatever. It was a political scheme, what they were doing, but they often reference Matthew twenty four twenty four. You know, that verse says false Christ, false prophets would show great sign and wonders. And if it were possible, deceive the uh, the very elect. Well, we heard this phrase over and over and over, <clears throat> but they took the first part of this out. Often when they quoted that verse, they would say the two would become so close that they would deceive the elect and they would take off the, the if possible. So in other words, you're going to be deceived. And the way that they snipped that verse up sounds nothing like what the original context was. But what they were doing was they were projecting the notion that you, you can't trust anyone. We alone have the truth. And it's hidden in this mystery that only we can establish and tell for you. And in the end, like you said, you know, it, it really is just an esoteric religion. But it's weird because it was a political esoteric religion. Yeah. And isn't it ironic that the folks that are doing the most damage and the most deception possible are the ones who will, will take that truth about uh, you know, beware, be on guard, because uh, there's false Christ, there's false prophets, false teachers. 
you say, darn tootin', I mean, you're, you're one of them. Uh, but it's so hard to, to make that connection once you're, you're in there. Let's, like I said to you before, uh, my experience, direct experience with this stuff on the inside was uh, being in a church that uh, followed the teachings of Kenneth, Co- Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen. I usually, I usually call them nowadays uh, uh, the two apostate Kenneths. <laughs> and then Hubbard Freeman, which are, which are where? The Copenhagens. Uh, those, yeah, the Copenhagens. <laughs> uh, or you can call them the, uh, the, the, no, let's don't call them what they deserve to be called. <laughs> so, so anyway, sorry. So anyway, um, yeah, you know, taking this, uh, this idea that, that Swift somehow was in, in the line or the stream that came that came from folks like Valentinus that got funneled through folks like Jane Lead and then her descendants in the latter reign uh, movement of 1948. If you take that stream and go through Jane Lead in particular, she had uh, certain ways of uh, mentioning how the sons of God will be uh, be manifested, how they will come into divinity, essentially. And so so if you think of Wesley Swift as one who has sort of a, a Jane Lead style of uh, deification, uh, he would say things like this. The sons of God were preexistent celestial beings known as the Elohim. Okay, that's you can un- unpack that in a lot of different ways. But it's essentially saying what most of the folks in the deep end of the pool of the sons of God teachings, they essentially say this, which absolutely fits the esoteric teachings. They say that um, before we were incarnate, we were basically angels, divine. We were, quote, the sons of God, but they mean something different by that. Divine beings, we became incarnate, and now we're sort of absolutely fitting with the, uh, the esoteric world, we're making our way back to uh, our original pre-existent status as divine beings. How this will happen is the heavens and the earth, meaning the angelic realm and the corporate, I mean, the, uh, um, the corporate body of Christ here on earth will come into union. And when that happens, well, then we'll, we'll have uh, uh, the reconciliation of all things, the restoration of all things, where above and below, there you go, another big esoteric idea, uh, became one uh, or become one. So and here's another thing that really sounds very much like uh, what I've read from Jane Lee. Swift said, the new Jerusalem which descends upon the elite is an emanation of the Shekinah glory. When you look at sons of God teachings, the Shekinah glory doesn't mean you start glowing or you start uh, looking like Moses who came down from the mountain and his face was shining. Uh, It's not like the transfiguration where Christ uh, was emanating this great light. You find it in their teachings. You can pretty much equate the Shekinah glory with the uh, parousia and uh, with the coming of Christ in the uh, individual personal uh, beings from the uh, from the great cloud of witnesses. So if you equate all those things, then okay, yeah, this uh, New Jerusalem is descending. It's not actually a city in their conception. It's a uh, it's a great return of the spiritual world, and and you definitely get that in Swift. He he start, sort of locks it in or connects it with with uh, UF uh, ships, you know, returning to the earth and neo-Nazis talk about that kind of stuff uh, again. But, you know, if you get it down to the basic general idea, it's very similar. There's a connection. And so uh, he said that this is a covering which will belong to all the sons of God, which will descend upon you and restore immortality. Restore immortality, yeah, because if you're a son of God in the heavenlies and you're essentially an angelic being, when you became incarnate on earth, you're going to have to make your way back to that immortal status as as an angelic son of God. And so uh, this restoration of immortality, the covering 
uh, if you're not really into the deep meanings of that, you say, oh, the covering is sort of like a protection. Well, not really. In this sort of, uh, like I said, the deep end of the pool, covering is referring to something like uh, the new uh, Jerusalem descending upon you. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's a means of uh, becoming divine, immortal again, they say. And so here's, here's what he says. Now, this sounds like Jane Lee, like Bill Britton, uh, even like folks like, uh, say, uh, Ann Jimenez, who tries to tiptoe around this stuff and not say it too explicitly. But Ann Jimenez, uh, this would have been in the 1980s through 1990s, a little bit in the 2000s. She being influenced by Bill Britton, and you can see how that goes backwards, Bill Britton being influenced by Jane Lee, Jane Lee being influenced by all the esoteric thought. But Ann Jimenez says, uh, I'm so sorry, this is, this is uh, Wesley Swift sounding like Ann Jimenez. He said that the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God is going to be the most important event that ever happened in human history. You know, you like you taking the notes whenever you're talking, I'm taking notes and the the Shekinah glory. I can't tell you how many sermons that I heard about this growing up. And whenever we left the cult and went into, you know, the Christian world and understanding that the, the Christian meaning of this is simply where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be in your midst. That's literally what that's the Christian method of believing this. But in latter rain, see, William Branham associated that to his alleged halo. And that halo was widespread among latter rain as belief that this was the Shekinah glory coming down. And so you'll hear sermon after sermon after sermon about the Shekinah glory. And the meaning of it is different because me as a Christian, believing I was in a Christian in this cult that pretended to be Christian, if I went with a friend of mine into their house, and I'm talking about Jesus, and we're two, we're two gathered in his name, right? I, didn't, I wasn't allowed to believe that that was a Shekinah glory. It was only this, this wonderful thing, this manifestation of God. And you're right, it was Wesley Swift taught this, and the, the version that William Branham had, I think it might have predated Swift. As I mentioned, there's some, there's some cross-pollination there. I think Swift may have actually taken that from the Lateranian movement. But in either case, what it ended up with, that, that whole theology, <laughs> was esoteric in nature, not Christian in nature, just as you pointed out. Yeah, and uh, speaking of esoteric uh, blending or coming into contact with uh, Sons of God and then whatever connections that uh, led to with folks like Swift and Christian identity. There's something that I ran into at first, and when I was doing research, it sounded like an absolute uh, contradiction, and I couldn't really wrap my head around it, but I had a hunch. And so I pursued the hunch and tried to figure out what it was about. So here's what it was. In Sons of God teaching and in lead, and even in Valentinus, so we have fewer of his uh, documents to, to analyze. Uh, mostly it's from, uh, from the church father, Irenaeus, that we know about uh, Valentinus. So in all of those uh, venues, if you say, uh, there's a concept that there's a segment of the church or society or both that will not make it, and they will have to be literally physically removed. Okay, so in Valentinus' uh, situation, he said that there's three different uh, levels of humanity. And boy, this sounds a lot like George Warnock, and actually sounds a lot like Alice Bailey, like the first three initiations is what she would call it. So for Valentinus, there was the lower realm, the middle realm and the higher realm. And I don't even really care about the labels. So he, he calls one uh, the pneumatics, one well, the psychics, and I forgot what he called the other one. Uh, the names right there don't really matter, but the, it's the concept. So the upper, upper level literally will be infused, uh, receive bodily uh, their angelic counterpoints. This will make them sinless. Um, and so they would receive, quote, the light or the, uh, the personal uh, bridegroom's, bridegroom spirits, 
Uh, that's that's what he was saying. That group, and, and and it's like there's an eschatology to it. It's not like, yeah, we can kind of do this. It comes and goes. Uh, he's actually got an idea where at, at the end of time, they will be fused. Well, what else happens? There's a middle branch. That's the... Uh, the average Christians who may receive the gnosis, but so far they haven't. So they're either going to be destroyed or maybe we'll keep them around and, and see if we can't uh, uh, convert them. Then there's the bottom realm, and they will literally uh, be taken out. They'll be destroyed at the so-called eschaton, meaning the end of time. So what I found was that kind of stuff, I could find it all over the place with Sons of God teachers like George Houghton, Royal Cronquist, uh, Sam Fife, uh, Bill Britton, Preston J. Eby. All those guys had some take on this kind of stuff, as does, I, I mentioned before, uh, Bill Hammond, uh, one of the major prophets of the, of, the, of the NAR. So you get this concept of, yeah, at some point we're going to have to take these guys out. Uh, God will supply the means, or maybe we'll take physical means like, say, guns. Who knows? But the concept is there. What I began to find out with Jane Lead, and I also saw this with Swift, it was very fascinating. Um, they had a sacred purge with a caveat. Okay, what in the world could that mean? It means this, that universal restitution, restoration, reconciliation is part of the game. Oddly enough, with all that weird stuff that Swift said about uh, we will kill for the kingdom, yada, yada. Okay, he's got a big component of that. You can also find in his writings, but they will be restored through death. Okay, so we're going to kill them, but it's, it's sort of like a George Aurelian thing. Uh, yeah, you know, death is life or something like that. So we kill them, but later they will have another chance. You can take that in the re uh, reincarnation if you want. Uh, so you can see that kind of thing with Alice Bailey in the New Age. You can also see that uh, with Swift, and you can also see that kind of thinking with Jane Lee. So there's this, yeah, we do the judgment day, uh, but at the same time, they're, they're having this, it seems like almost like a contradictory idea uh, that there's going to be universal salvation. So the caveat is, yeah, universal, but with the little twist is we'll get rid of some of these guys that don't really fit in, that are hindering the kingdom of God, uh, or they're up and they're in uh, opposition to the, the establishment of the new age. They'll be taken care of, gotten rid of, but in the end, everything will be okay because they will be saved in spirit, even though the bodily, uh, even though the body or the flesh, as I would say, would have to be destroyed. So here's a couple of things from uh, from uh, uh, Swift that kind of uh, say that. Oh, here's here's a, here's a quotation I can I can give you that really really fits this. So Swift says, "quote." All of creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, waiting for immortality to return to the sons who will then purge out those who should not be there. Okay, that's pretty clear. That sounds like manifest sons of God stuff. For as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of Son of Man. At that time, the overwhelming armies of God will remove the enemies from the face of the earth. The armies of heaven will join with the armies of earth. That's what I was saying, that to be merged. And all powers of darkness will be crushed. This will be the cleansing of the earth by the sons of God. Straight up, Jane Lee kind of stuff. Okay, here's the caveat. Then he says, we will kill to save the kingdom. Even so, they will be saved by fire, since the restitution of all things will include the restoration of the wicked. So they're being restored, yet they're being killed. They're being taken out. Uh, this is probably one of the main reasons, I think it is the main reason, that Bill Britton says the wrath of God is the love of God. Okay. And then here's another thing from Swift. He says, in this restoration of all things, the enemies, enemies of God will fall at your feet and acknowledge that you are the sons and daughters of God. 
and that they are not the chosen people. Okay, so he's really getting to dig in on on uh, Jews at that point. And then, of course, he says, God didn't say that you have to wait for this uh, gathering of the tares. Uh, and it's a biblical allusion to those who are, who are not really uh, of the kingdom. He says, we don't have to wait for the angels to do all this. So you've got these two hands, uh, death, life, but he merges them together. That's why I say it's the sacred purge with a caveat. You just sent chills up my spine, man. <laughs> I, I feel it all over my body. The, you read that quote from Wesley Swift, and suddenly all these alarm bells are going off in my head. I've heard that phrase over and yep. over and over. I'll, I'll read you an example of it. 1960, May of 1960, he said, Now the whole creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Well, I'd imagine Paul just had a wonderful time, and he goes on to say he made known to us the mystery. So in all of all of this, he is quoting exactly from Wesley Swift, and that alone should still send chills up my spine. But the fact that I grew up with this, not knowing that this was this really, really dark and sinister agenda, and, and it's being spread all throughout the Lateran movement through William Branham, it really, again, it goes back to the political aspects of this movement this was weaponized religion for the sake of politics and the fact that you can quote swift and i can quote branham put them together and they're saying the same exact thing at this almost the same exact time even it's it's just mind-boggling yeah john if i can uh uh tack on something to that uh which which i agree what you're saying there the first time i really heard or even you know without looking at any of this research, if you just look at the scripture in Romans 8, it's talking about the, the whole creation groans for the manifestation of sons of God uh, because the whole creation was subjected to, uh, and there's different ways to have this translated, but it, the whole creation has been subjected to uh, decay, uh, to sin, and to the bondage of sin. And therefore, with the sons of God, these things uh, at that moment, these things will be cleansed of, and the earth will, uh, the kingdom of God will come. Okay, if you're looking at that kind of scripture outside of all this wackiness, uh, that sounds like something very positive. It's the beginning of the kingdom of God with the return of Jesus Christ, and uh, never again will you shut it here. Everything will be uh, established, and uh, it'll be a holy place. It'll be a wonderful place. It'll be reunion with Christ and your loved ones. But then, as I went deeper into seeing how those folks interpret this kind of idea, uh, the groaning creation is actually groaning to be relieved of sin and sinners. You can even see that in Franklin Hall's teachings, to where what they're groaning for is that... Uh, this has to be rectified. We have. There's going to be a judgment. There's going to be the removal of an awful lot of folks, and that's what will bring the sons of God into this glorious liberty. So it's another kind of Orwellian thing, unless you dig and begin to hear what they're actually saying. And it comes with the types and shadows kind of thing, where uh, – there's always a deeper uh, loaded language aspect of it. So you just quote the scripture and look at it at face value, say, yeah, I can see that. That's the return of Christ, the kingdom of God. But as you tack that on with the types and shadows that are being revealed and with the, uh, the way that these uh, phrases are being loaded and redefined uh, tremendously so, then you see that what you're actually getting is the opposite. Allah, Bill Britton saying the love of God is the wrath of God and vice versa. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you jogged my memory on that passage because I was in my head I was trying to remember that <laughs> where did that come from so I can pull it up but <clears throat> when you hear the phrase manifested sons of God spoken in latter rain it is such an 
it's even anti I was going to say extra biblical. It's anti-biblical what they teach. And <laughs> this this thought hit me, you know, as I'm studying the Bible after I left and I'm understanding. At that time, I didn't understand the overloaded meaning of manifested sons of God. I just knew that it was wrong. But if you go you go back up in that chapter just a bit, it says the spirit itself beareth witness of our spirit that we are the children of God. So if you put this into context, when it's talking about the world is groaning, waiting for the children of God to arise, the manifestation of the sons of God, well, they've ripped that verse out when you think of Branham's and Wesley Swift's manifested sons of God. That's not what they're talking about. So instead of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, which is what the Bible said, they're turning it into this and UFOs and <laughs> these celestial bodies and the watchers and all of this esoteric nonsense. It is anti-biblical. And all you have to do, <laughs> like I said, just read verse 16. It's we are the children of God. Yeah, John, if, and if I can throw a little zinger at the end, a little uh, can of worms to be uh, opened up later. Uh, another thing that I found that was quite fascinating was as I was researching uh, this deep end of the pool with the Sons of God teachings and simultaneously looking at the Alice Bailey version of, uh, of New Age teachings, when Alice Bailey says the externalization of the hierarchy and she predicts that this will begin, the process will begin sometime in 2025. So, yeah, so what? Who knows what she really means or what will occur? But she says the externalization of the spiritual hierarchy is essentially these divine beings being channeled through a willing host to help prepare the world for, quote, the Christ. Well, if you look at the Sons of God teachings, they run very parallel with that where the manifestation of the sons of God is not those really that are present on earth being uh, perfected. And yeah, here we are. We are, we're being manifested. We're the wonderful sons of God who are the elite. It actually means when you look at Royal Conquest, David uh, Ebal, uh, Bill Britton and Jane Lee, what it means is that the uh, spiritual beings, in other words, those who are already, uh, uh, the spirits of just men uh, made perfect in the heavenlies, i.e. the great cloud of witnesses, they will be manifested through uh, the sons of God. That's what makes them the sons of God. So they're already sons of God uh, in the heavenlies waiting to be made manifest through the many-membered corporate body of Christ on earth. So in essence, the externalization can be equated with the manifestation. So that's, like I said, it's a can of worms, but it's something that uh, I don't really see a lot of folks uh, aware of that. But yeah, it, what it does is it aligns uh, the really uh, wacky uh, New Age ideas with really wacky Sons of God ideas. Yeah, you know, in the end, when you take a step back from all of this, when you're in it, it's different. When you're in it, you're in the hype, you're in the emotion. They're they're really playing <laughs> like the puppet on the strings. They're really toying with your emotions yeah. to try to keep you in this thing, right? When you right. come off the strings and you're sitting there thinking about the the fact that you don't have these strings, that they're toying with your emotions, you really take a step back and you think all of this just doesn't make sense it it is so yeah. it's so far out there right but when you're in it in the heat of the moment you don't recognize that but getting getting away from this and simply just i think i've mentioned to you i know i have the others i just read the bible like over and over so i lost mm. count but it's between 10 and 15 times just simply reading right. the bible will help you cleanse this out of your mind because what they're telling you and what the bible says when read in context is completely different not even the same religion whatsoever and <laughs> to think that you know, my perspective was the latter rain side through Branham, but to think that all of these movements that came that were built on top of that, to think that they're stacked up and st some of them still standing today is just, for me, it's surreal to think that on on such a false foundation that those things can even exist today. Yeah, I think it's uh, it comes down to uh, rewording, repackaging. It's like... Uh, 
uh, Jane Lead 101, Jane Lead 102, and Manifest Sons of God, and William Branham, and Wesley Swift. Same thing. It gets repackaged. And so what, uh, what I do when people say, uh, yeah, this stuff is not related, uh, technically, if you look historically, uh, some of it is not directly related and connected. But if you go to the general, you know, I'm, I'm an ex-English uh, uh, teacher. So what you have the kiddos do constantly is uh, you either want them to elaborate on something because you say, I had a great summer. Okay, great. That's, that's wonderful. Let's expound upon that. Or what you want them to do is be able to read something that may be much more wordy and detailed and summarize it. What is the central truth here? What is it in general? How can you, how can you uh, bring that down? And actually, there's a funny website. Uh, I think it's called, uh, I forgot the name of the, the website, but they have stuff like, uh, uh, Jane, uh, uh, they have, say, like uh, Shakespeare in a minute. So they'll take like uh, Hamlet, and it'd be uh, Hamlet holds a skull, Hamlet kills stuff, Hamlet dies, and that's it. So that's the summary. So what they're, they're and I think I probably got that wrong, but uh, they'll do Jane Austen, uh, Austen and others who sometimes are very verbose and went on and on and on. And so I try not to let my students get a hold of that because because they would take they would take a book that maybe we had to read and they would follow suit. Uh, but my point is that when you look for the general, uh, spaceships returning, angels returning, watchers returning, uh, sometimes it's just called that the great return. Okay, so whatever they are, they're beyond uh, human abilities and, and humanity here on Earth. They're somehow higher, and the idea is they're going to return to either help or to infuse uh, or to show the way to com communicate through, but you have these commonalities. And then, of course, the, the same thing with uh, theocracy, like, you know, see Peter Wagner. I don't remember him hearing him ever say the word theocracy. Uh, influencing society, okay. He generally means the same when you see his definition. And also uh, taking dominion, that's a sons of God phrase. Uh, of course, the NAR folks, prefer to say uh, other ways of saying that, like the seven mountains, you know, that they will take control of. So generally speaking, it's the same stuff. There's just so much here, and I'm <laughs> I'm so excited to get into this with you, Steve. Um, I know we've got more to do. We're we're kind of planning out the roadmap of the converging apostasy podcast, and it's as I'm reworking the historical podcast, how they all, you know, come together. All, I think the listeners are just going to be mind blown when they see all of this. You've changed your your book names, and I think you have a, a book out there. Why don't you tell our listeners again how to get your books? Yeah, John. Well, first of all, thanks for having me again. Uh, uh, really enjoy doing this. And I think it can be valuable to folks in different ways. Uh, yeah, I have uh, two books out now, right, right now. Uh, both of them are paperback and ebook. Uh, the first is a fairly long one. Well, 470 some odd pages, and it's got loads of detail. It goes through the uh, the 10 different themes that I think I find uh, being expressed through uh, apostasy. And the title of that one is The Converging Apostasy. The other one I'm thinking of as a primer to that, and it's, it's really short. It's about 60 pages, paperback or ebook. I called that one a quick outline of, quote, hands-on eschatology, unquote, a matter of timing and agency. So just to unpack that, what it does is it talks about the themes of perfection, dominionism, and a sacred purge. And it goes through history all the way back to Valentinus, goes through Jane Lead, goes through Manifest Sons of God, teachers, and ends up with the NAR and uh, analyzes uh, through direct quotations or direct quotes of all those folks. 
Excellent. Well, like I say, I'm I'm really excited to get more into this with you and things of <laughs> I know we've we've kind of both been tied up a bit and not not been able to, but things are clearing up for me, so hopefully we get more of these in the future. If you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at William Branham.org. For more information about the dark side of Latter Rain, read Weaponized Religion from Latter Rain to Colonia Dignidad, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. 